Due to the nature of today's episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and terrorism. Consider this when deciding how and when you'll listen. How much do you know about David Copperfield, Molly? The Charles Dickens book? Uh, uh, No, not that David Copperfield. The magician famous for pulling off huge, large-scale illusions. He once floated across the Grand Canyon, walked through the Great Wall of China, even made the Statue of Liberty disappear on national television. Uh, you mean he made it look like it disappeared? (laughs) Yes, touche. But Copperfield made a name for himself with those massive vanishing acts. Back in 1981, he hosted a TV special for CBS where a seven-ton airplane disappeared right in front of a live studio audience. Well, being a magician, I'm sure it was all smoke and mirrors and really fancy camera work. I mean, we all know an airplane doesn't just disappear. Well, after hosting this show for a while, you know it has happened a few times throughout history. Amelia Earhart, Malaysia Airlines Flight 370... But the one you probably haven't heard of was a Boeing 727 that went missing in Angola, Africa about 20 years ago. And this wasn't some magic trick. In 2003, the plane took off without warning with at least two men inside, never to be seen again. You're saying it just vanished into thin air? Well, today, that's what I want to get to the bottom of. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our one-part episode on the disappearance of an Angola Boeing 727, which vanished from the skies above Southern Africa in 2003. It launched a worldwide search for its whereabouts, but the plane was never found. Even today, the FBI and CIA struggle to explain what happened to the aircraft. Was it hijacked by terrorists, stolen and sold for parts? Or was the disappearance all part of some complex insurance fraud scheme? We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. In the spring of 2003, 50-year-old Ben Charles Padilla arrived in the African nation of Angola, ready to work. Welcome to Luanda International Airport. Baggage Padilla had built a small but steady career fixing and flying old airplanes in Florida. But when opportunities dried up stateside after the September 11th attacks, Padilla left his family in the U.S. to find work elsewhere. He eventually wound up in Africa, where there were plenty of old cargo planes and decommissioned airliners in need of a skilled mechanic. That's how Padilla wound up at Angola's Cuatro de Fevereiro International Airport. He was tasked with restoring an old Boeing 727 airplane, one that had sat abandoned in the airport for nearly a year. The minute Padilla saw the plane, he must have known he had his work cut out for him. Here's what happened with the plane before Padilla arrived. The Boeing 727 had once been part of a fleet of 727s owned and operated by American Airlines in the 1970s. But when Boeing introduced their new and improved 737 model in the 80s, the old 727s fell out of style. Many were scrapped or sold. This particular plane was purchased by a Miami man named Maury Joseph, who made a deal with a South African company. A year before Padilla was hired to fix it up, the plane was briefly used to deliver diesel to isolated diamond mines around Angola. At the time, Angola was at the tail end of a civil war. Road travel could be dangerous, especially in transporting valuable cargo, so the plane seemed like a good alternative. The 727 had almost all of its 134 seats stripped from the cabin and replaced with giant tanks to haul the fuel. Unfortunately, The plan fell apart almost as soon as it began. For starters, Angola was full of unpaved and poorly constructed runways that were difficult for even the most experienced pilots to navigate. 
Shortly before Maury Joseph 727 arrived in early 2002, another Boeing 727 hit and killed multiple bystanders during a botched landing. That, coupled with a few business deals falling through, forced the company to back out of their deal with Maury Joseph. They abandoned the plane at an airport in Angola. The 727 sat in an airplane hangar for months as Joseph tried to figure out what to do with it. In the meantime, it racked up millions of dollars in airport fees, kind of like a boat would on a slip rental. That is, until Joseph decided to cut his losses and sell the 727 to a new buyer in Johannesburg. But he had a problem. The plane had slipped into disrepair. For all he knew, it wouldn't even fly again. Which is when he hired Ben Padilla to come in and fix it in the spring of 2003. Padilla's job was simple. Get the dilapidated Boeing back into the skies and out of Joseph's life forever. Padilla could still see the fading American Airlines logo on the 727. It was silver and had American Airlines red, white, and blue stripes across the hull. Its tail number read N844AA. Joseph wasn't kidding. The plane was in bad shape. But its three engines still had some years left in them. So Padilla hired a few additional mechanics and a man from the Democratic Republic of the Congo named John Mikel Mutantu to get started. Padilla spent about a month repairing the plane. After a few weeks, it looked like all his hard work paid off. The 727 was ready to fly. He hired two pilots from a local airline called Air Gemini to deliver the plane to Johannesburg at the end of the month. But on May 25, 2003, the day before the 727 was scheduled to take off for South Africa, an unknown man appeared at the airport. He was carrying almost $100,000 in cash and told airport officials to fully fuel the plane. This seemed odd, even to us. Why would airport employees let some stranger gas up a random plane? But it makes a little more sense when you hear that Angola was suffering from rampant corruption at the time. For the right price, you could get away with almost anything. And this stranger had plenty of money. The man handed over $93,000, so the workers didn't ask any questions. Which sounds like a lot of money to fuel up a plane for a three and a half hour trip, right? Well, that's because he also paid to have all the tanks inside the cabin filled. Which makes it even stranger, mostly because that 727 wasn't going to be making delivery trips to the Angola diamond mines anymore, as far as we can tell. It was supposed to be headed to its new owner, who presumably had no use for a plane packed to the brim with diesel. 14,000 gallons worth of diesel at that. Only a few hours later, Ben Padilla and his fellow mechanic, John Mikhail Mutantu, climbed aboard the now fully fueled airplane, seemingly unaware of the transaction. The pair were reportedly there to perform a few tests to make sure the Boeing 727 was ready for its journey. Padilla's plan, or the one he told his employers at least, was to taxi the 727 around the airport, turn on the engines, 
and make sure everything was working okay. If he was satisfied with how the plane was performing, Padilla was supposed to drive the 727 back to its hangar and prepare it for takeoff with its rightful crew the following day. But that's not what happened. Padilla and Mutantu disappear inside the plane, and a few moments later, the engines roar to life as planned. But then, airport employees watched in shock as the plane shot out of its hangar and sped dangerously across the tarmac. The aircraft careened back and forth, nearly out of control, before finally taking a wild turn on the runway. Airport officials frantically radioed the craft, hoping to get in touch with Padilla, but there was no response from the cockpit. Padilla and Mutanto would not, or could not, answer. The 727 barreled down the runway, seemingly preparing for takeoff. But there was one problem. Mutantu didn't know how to fly a plane. Ben Padilla did have his private pilot's license, but he wasn't trained to handle anything as complex as a triple-engine 727. Even if he was, he couldn't do it by himself. A Boeing 727 had three seats in the cockpit and required a three-person crew to fly. A pilot, a co-pilot, and a flight engineer. Yet somehow, around sunset on May 26, 2003, the Boeing 727 hit the end of the runway and lifted off, soaring out towards the Atlantic Ocean. Reports said the plane kept a low altitude, maybe to avoid appearing on radar. Intentionally or unintentionally, it worked. All attempts to track the 727 failed. The plane disappeared southwest into the setting sun, and it took Ben Padilla, John Mikel Mutantu, and 14,000 gallons of diesel fuel along with it. Coming up, the FBI and CIA search for the flying bomb. Hi, it's Carter, here to tell you about a very special episode airing this week on my series Cold Cases. In honor of May being missing and Unidentified Persons Awareness Month, we're welcoming in Sarah Turney from the podcast Disappearances to help examine the mystifying circumstances surrounding the high-profile case known as The Boy in the Box. For nearly 70 years, people all over the country wondered, who is America's unknown child? How did he die? And will we ever learn the truth? A forensic breakthrough would ultimately provide his identity, Joseph Augustus Zarelli. But as you'll come to find out, that was just one piece of the mystery. It was an absolute pleasure to team up with Sarah to tell this story. I hope you enjoy it. Follow Cold Cases to hear this episode right now. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life, at least not the ones you're thinking of, but they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home, like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. 
No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com. Now back to the story. The Angola Boeing 727's disappearance in 2003 coincided with another major event happening across the ocean. The United States post 9-11 fear and paranoia. Every national security agency in the U.S. was scrambling to understand one thing. How did they fail to prevent such a massive tragedy on U.S. soil? More importantly, how could they stop it from happening again? One thing was certain. The FBI and CIA had intelligence that could have warned them about the attack. Yet somehow it slipped through the cracks. So the agencies went into overdrive, trying to fix their mistake. They chased down every shred of information they could about other impending terror plots. According to investigative journalist Garrett Graff, experts feared Osama bin Laden had undercover al-Qaeda agents hidden in the U.S. Other tips were coming in constantly, like terrorists planting nuclear bombs on trains in Pennsylvania, But most, if not all, of those leads were dead ends. Still, no tip or unfounded rumor was too small for the FBI or CIA to ignore. So when news broke in May 2003 that a jet plane full of diesel had disappeared in Africa, national security agencies could only think of one thing. In the wrong hands, that plane could become a flying bomb. And they had no idea where it was headed or how to stop it. Which brings us to our first conspiracy theory. That the Angola 727 was hijacked by terrorists. Ben Padilla's brother, Joe, was one of the first to publicly propose this theory. He believed terrorists snuck onto the 727 the morning of the May 26 disappearance. When Padilla and his co-worker boarded later to run engine tests, the terrorists surprised the men and wrestled for control of the aircraft. That struggle could have been the reason for the plane's erratic behavior on the runway. Joe thought the hijackers eventually overpowered his brother and likely killed him during the attack. Joe even told the Tampa Bay Times he believed Al-Qaeda was behind it. To be fair, Joe might have been basing his theory off more than just 9-11 paranoia, because Al-Qaeda did have a history of attacks like this in Africa. In 1998, the terrorist group was responsible for the bombing of U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania. More than 200 people died. But Al-Qaeda had no known ties to Angola at that time. A spokesman for the Angolan embassy in Washington, D.C., told the Times the country didn't have any terrorist presence, as far as he was aware. Still, the FBI and CIA had to investigate it as a real possibility. Plane filled with fuel was missing, and where it was headed was anyone's guess. 
A typical 727 has a flight range of roughly 3,000 miles, so the plane couldn't make it all the way to the United States without landing and refueling somewhere first. But it didn't have to enter U.S. airspace to stage an attack. There were plenty of other targets within its range. Which is why all 50 American embassies within Africa received the same terse message from Washington. Watch out for a runaway Boeing 727, it warned. The plane could be headed their way. The entire U.S. military presence in Africa was on high alert. The Department of Defense reportedly considered moving a fighter plane to a base in Djibouti in East Africa so they could engage if the 727 reappeared. For the next several days, U.S. embassies across Africa nervously watched the skies. They kept tabs on airports in multiple countries in case the 727 attempted to land somewhere, but it never did. Authorities in both the U.S. and Angola searched the Atlantic Ocean for wreckage, but they found nothing. If the 727 crashed, it should have been easy to spot. The thousands of gallons of diesel on board would have left a massive oil slick if it crashed in the water. What's even stranger was that the aircraft's tracking beacon disappeared along with the plane. Those beacons were waterproof and designed to survive crashes. They could continue sending out signals for weeks after an accident, even in the ocean. Not to mention, if the airplane crashed on land somewhere in Africa, the fuel would have led to a massive explosion, making it nearly impossible to miss. Which is why the theory that Al-Qaeda stole the 727 became less likely as time passed. Plus, the only real evidence of a hijack was the plane swerving before takeoff. So eventually, the FBI and CIA turned their attention to more pressing threats. Ben Padilla's brother may have believed bin Laden was behind the disappearance, but the theory did feel like it was based more on post-9-11 paranoia than actual fact. The only reason the FBI and CIA explored this theory was because the U.S. was in the middle of the war on terror. The agencies had to investigate every possible threat, even those loosely based on speculation. But a plane as big as the Boeing 727 doesn't vanish by accident. It's more likely that someone made it disappear. And when you start to look closer at Ben Padilla's own history, he begins to look less like a victim and more like a potential suspect. Which leads us to our second conspiracy theory. That Ben Padilla hijacked the plane himself. Before Padilla was hired to repair the Angola 727 in 2003, he took a job with a man named Jeff Swain. Like Padilla, Swain was a Floridian man who lived not too far from Padilla's own family, but the job Swain was offering would send Padilla halfway around the world. Swain ran a business leasing and selling planes to international customers. He told Smithsonian Magazine's Tim Wright that he hired Padilla as a flight engineer to maintain a fleet of those aircrafts in Indonesia. Unfortunately, Padilla didn't last long. Swain claimed that Padilla, quote, just went bad. Swain explained 
saying Padilla spent more time flirting with local Indonesian women than actually working on planes. He knew Padilla had a wife and daughter back home in the States, but it's been speculated that wasn't his only family. There were rumors Padilla had other wives and other children abroad. While his sister Benita denies this as a possibility, conflicting reports by acquaintances could support some type of infidelity. He may have even married another woman during his time in Indonesia, and Padilla's suspicious behavior didn't end with his alleged infidelity. Swain said that during his time in Indonesia, Padilla scammed a local hotel out of thousands of dollars and tried to stick him with a bill. Eventually, Swain had no other option but to go to the police. He told Smithsonian Magazine, we finally had him deported. By the time Padilla started fixing up the Angola 727, he'd already spent years working on planes around Africa. He likely knew people who'd be interested in buying a jet, maybe even a stolen one. According to aviation experts interviewed by the Tampa Bay Times, it's possible Padilla never planned to deliver the 727 to its new owner in the first place. He just sold the plane to another buyer and disappeared with the money. In this theory, Padilla could have easily bribed corrupt officials to change the registration numbers on the plane's tail. It's the equivalent of swapping out a car's license plates and it would have made the 727 nearly impossible to trace. There are a few unverified reports that seem to reinforce this theory. Less than a week after the plane went missing in Angola, a witness told The Guardian a 727 suddenly appeared in Guinea. It apparently had a fresh coat of paint and a new registration number. The witness claimed the American Airlines tail number was still visible under that new paint job. Someone else claimed the plane was then smuggled to Lebanon. If these rumors were true, it could be proof the plane was stolen. But that doesn't answer the question of what happened to Padilla. His family told Smithsonian Magazine almost a decade after the disappearance that they hadn't heard from him since. Would Padilla really have abandoned his family for a bit of cash? It's possible, especially if he had other secret families around the world. To me, this theory seems more realistic than a terrorist hijacking, and it has more circumstantial evidence. If the rumors about Padilla were true, he may still be in Africa to this day, living with one of his other wives. But remember, the Boeing 727 typically required three different pilots to fly. Padilla couldn't have flown it by himself. Plus, Mutantu didn't have his pilot's license. Padilla was an experienced pilot, but it's still unlikely he could handle that 727 alone. Maybe he didn't have to. Perhaps Ben Padilla didn't steal the 727 after all. Maybe the plane's owner was in on it from the beginning. Coming up, how insurance fraud schemes might have claimed the plane. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. After some investigating, the FBI and CIA realized the missing 727 wasn't a terror threat, and despite his checkered past, Ben Padilla likely didn't hijack the plane either. So, government agencies started to consider our third and final conspiracy theory. That Padilla worked with the plane's owner, Maury Joseph, to steal the aircraft and get rich off the insurance money. The truth was, the missing Boeing 727 was a financial drain on Maury Joseph almost as soon as he bought it. Joseph ran a company called Aerospace Sales and Leasing, which, unsurprisingly, sold and leased airplanes. He was the one who bought the Boeing 727 well before he hired Padilla to start repairing it. He purchased it from American Airlines, along with two other retired passenger jets. At the time, American Airlines maintenance crews kept their planes in top condition, so the 30-year-old 727 was still in near-perfect shape. After the purchase, Joseph began looking for a new buyer in Miami, where the plane was first kept, and it didn't take him long to find one. The client's name was Keith Irwin. Irwin was a South African man who realized there was money to be made flying fuel to and from isolated diamond mines in Angola. He'd already traveled to Miami and purchased a series of tanks, but he was in desperate need of an airplane to make his plan a reality. And Maury Joseph's 727 looked perfect. In February 2002, Irwin agreed to lease the plane from Joseph for roughly a million dollars. He didn't have all the cash right away, so he gave Joseph $125,000 up front and worked out a payment plan. Then Irwin gutted the craft, made room for those fuel barrels, and flew it off to Africa. But Maury Joseph never got the rest of his money because Irwin's fuel delivery plan was a total bust. Irwin struggled to get even the simplest permits from the Angolan government to make the delivery. Then, a few bad business deals with Angolan companies sapped the last of his finances. Irwin promised to pay the rest of the million-dollar fee by the end of March, but by May, he'd only made two small payments to Maury Joseph. The handful of jobs Irwin successfully completed didn't pay well enough to cover his losses. It appeared the man was sinking deeper into debt as his business partners also breathed down his neck to be paid back. And that's when things got really strange. Irwin later told the Smithsonian that he noticed he was being followed. After a strange man attempted to break into his hotel room one night, Irwin finally had enough. In the spring of 2002, he abandoned the Boeing 727 at the Quattro de Fevereiro Airport in Angola and fled the country, staking Maury Joseph with the bill. Joseph took a loss on the deal, but at least the plane was back in his possession. Yeah, but it wasn't useful any longer. The beautiful, lightly used airplane Joseph had bought from American Airlines 
was gutted to accommodate those fuel tanks. Plus, it was now parked on another continent, racking up more airport storage fees with each passing month. It sat there for almost a year before Joseph figured out what to do. According to the official story, this is when Joseph found a new buyer for the plane in South Africa. It's also when he sent Ben Padilla to Angola to fix it up. But according to this conspiracy, Joseph never actually planned to sell the 727. It was all a setup for his massive insurance fraud. A lot like Padilla, Joseph had a history of fraud. According to Plane and Pilot magazine, the SEC charged Joseph with lying and defrauding investors back in the 90s when he was running a small airline in Florida. But Joseph got off fairly easy. He didn't serve any prison time and only paid a $50,000 fine. Maybe Joseph decided it would be easier to cut his losses with the Angola 727. If Padilla made the plane disappear, he could recoup some of his expenses with the insurance payout. More importantly, it would rid him of a plane that had been causing him trouble since the beginning. The theory goes that Joseph may have hired other pilots to sneak on board the plane and help Padilla fly it out of there. In that case, maybe the plane wasn't swerving on the runway because of terrorist hijackers. Maybe Padilla and his secret crew were just getting a handle on the controls. But there's no way to know for sure if Maury Joseph was working with Padilla. The FBI interviewed Joseph about the missing plane, and according to them, he offered to take a polygraph test to prove he was innocent. Only they never took him up on the offer. Even so, this would explain quite a bit, including why the plane never turned up again. If it was just Padilla who stole it, he probably would have tried to sell it somewhere. But Joseph just wanted it to disappear. It could have easily landed in rural Africa where it would never be found. Or maybe it was disassembled and turned into scrap metal. Still, I have a few lingering questions. Who was the mysterious man who paid to have all the tanks filled the night before takeoff? If Maury Joseph and Ben Padilla only wanted to make the plane disappear, why would they pay so much to fill those extra tanks with diesel? As we said before, there would have to be a lot in it for Padilla to make him disappear along with the craft. In my opinion, none of these theories connect all of the dots. I sort of agree. We'll see there's a reason the disappearance of the Angola 727 has become such an enduring mystery over the last two decades. The story is filled with a bunch of disconnected clues that no single explanation has been able to piece together. What's even more frustrating is that someone, somewhere, probably has the final piece of this puzzle. While Maury Joseph died in 2021, Ben Padilla, or another unknown player in this story, could be out there. And they might know exactly how this magic trick was pulled off. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with a new episode. For more information on the disappearance of the Angola 727, we found the Smithsonian article, The 727 That Vanished by Tim Wright, particularly helpful to our research. 
You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We're here on Mondays and Wednesdays with all new episodes. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and Spencer Howard as our post-production supervisor. Quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ryan O'Leary-Jones is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by River Donahue, edited by Mallory Cara and Lori Marinelli, fact-checked by Cheyenne Lopez, researched by Sapphire Williams, produced by Joshua Kern, and sound designed by Juan Borda. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Carter Roy. <laughs>